Hi, it's Mark Sisson. Welcome to the Primal Blueprint Podcast. It's time for another show dedicated to the world of keto. Check out ketoreset.com for details about my New York Times bestselling book and send your questions to info at ketoreset.com. Hi, listeners. Brad Kearns, welcome to the Keto Show. We have some very interesting questions and I will try to crank through these. How about we start with a fact of the day from the beloved Dr. Kate Shanahan, author of Deep Nutrition, one of the most smartest, most coolest, most favoritest people in the evolutionary health, primal paleo keto, all things relating to healthy eating and nutrition. And Dr. Kate was describing the difference between subcutaneous fat, the fat underneath the skin, body fat, and visceral fat, which is the internal fat, the fat that surrounds the organs, which is touted to be uh, more dangerous and more problematic for disease. You've heard the commentary that this visceral fat is an organ in and of itself because it secretes inflammatory cytokines and predisposes you to adding more fat. That's why a little bit of visceral fat, which often collects around the abdomen, uh, begets the introduction of more fat because it messes with your hormones. A lot of males around the age 50 or even younger if they're unhealthy, but they start to notice an accumulation of belly fat, even though they've given devoted attention to diet, exercise, healthy living Uh, attributing it to age or whatever, it's normal, all those kind of things. But this accumulation of visceral fat, promoting inflammation, messing with your hormones, particularly increasing cortisol and reducing testosterone, and therefore setting the stage for a, a more rapid decline of your ideal body composition toward one where you're carrying too much fat and continuing to accumulate it for the rest of your life. Uh, as opposed to subcutaneous fat where um, we modify our diet a little bit, restrict calories, and we noticeably get rid of that fat quickly. So the subcutaneous fat is what you can pinch with your hand, uh, and the visceral fat is the stuff you can't pinch even when you uh, tense your belly muscles up. And Kate says, if you're too fat to tell what's where, then you have both kinds of fat. Okay. Back into the questions, trying to keep the names attached here, and sometimes we don't do a good job of that, cutting and pasting from different sources. So the first one is, do you have any new information on uh, strength training, power training uh, while eating keto? And I'm going to answer that really quickly and say, go visit ketogains.com. Tyler Cartwright, Luis Villasenor doing a wonderful job there with that large community and all kinds of Uh, commentary, back and forth commentary with real life people trying hard to uh, adhere to keto and in many cases perform the uh, strength training. But uh, as Luis pointed out uh, during his presentation at Paleo FX, uh, an amazing 70% of his clientele are females, I think he said between the ages of 45 and 55 or something like that, who are looking to just uh, get lean a little bit, maybe arrest some of those problematic consequences of menopause and try to maintain a lean, healthy physique. So even though it says keto gains, and when you hear the word gains, you're thinking of the bodybuilder making muscle gains. Uh, We're also talking about making health gains for whoever you are. 
A lot of great information there. And also at Keto Reset Facebook group, moderated by incredibly passionate and knowledgeable experts, Dr. Lindsay Taylor, Michael Rutherford, Layla McGowan. And there's a great engagement on things like strength and power training on keto. And then finally, uh, my interview with Luis Villasenor, which was just published on the Keto Reset Facebook group and also on YouTube. So you can search YouTube for that. Uh, Just type in Brad Kearns, Luis Villasenor, and maybe it'll come up. It's from Paleo FX in April. And you can see us uh, filmed with the background of the bustling conference. Uh, But he talked about all kinds of things and gave some great insights. One of my favorite ones was he was talking about the struggle and the challenge of adhering to a strict diet, especially if you're making a transformation uh, that's uh, quite disparate from how you used to eat. So you're cutting back on carbs to go primal paleo, and then you're cutting back on carbs again to go keto, and it gets to be a bit much. Uh, You're stressing, you're trying to use willpower to fight off the temptations throughout the day. And he said, look, just eat the same thing every day for a while to get into that groove and get established and get fat and keto adapted. And when you just make that decision to eat the same thing every single day, okay, not the funnest way to live forever and ever, but it's a wonderful point because it takes out that decision fatigue and that calling upon willpower day after day after day when people are sticking stuff in your face or you're in a certain environment where you're offered to eat uh, the nice bread dipped in olive oil at the restaurant or you're hanging around people who are uh, encouraging you to eat the freshly prepared item that they brought. But if you're in this mindset and you've made this commitment, you can freely tell people, oh no, I'm sorry, I'm on a special diet Uh, Just like Arthur said in the original Arthur movie, my doctor has advised me to drink uh, 10 of these per day. He was talking about asking for more alcohol when he was already drunk. Funny stuff, but (laughs) applied to the concept of health. Just eat the same thing every day. Furthermore, you can identify the exact macros of what you're eating and know with great certainty that you are progressing toward your ketogenic goals. So if you have an omelet in the morning and a salad at lunchtime, and a uh, nice, well-chosen animal product and some steamed vegetables with butter for dinner and four squares or eight squares of dark chocolate as a snack or a treat and a half a handful of macadamia nuts as another snack or a treat, and you plug it all into the great apps like Zensa and uh, MyFitnessPal, and you'll generate that you're hitting your protein goals you're keeping your carbs under 50 grams per day, and it's a no-brainer. You go to the store, you buy the stuff, and you carry on. And if it takes a week, that's great. And if it takes three weeks of eating the same thing every day, remember, you get to pick the menu. So if you don't like an omelet, pick something else. Pick the um, keto note meal, N apostrophe oatmeal, that's in the uh, Keto Reset Diet Instant Pot Cookbook. I think there's another oatmeal-type product in the Keto Reset Diet uh, book itself. Uh, oh my gosh, I'm having great fun making this thing and everyone loves it when I make it. Let's see, I put in uh, a couple few egg yolks uh, with a base of coconut milk or another full fat milk like almond milk, unsweetened. So I'm stirring in the liquid of the egg yolks into the milk and then adding things like cinnamon and vanilla. And then I am pureeing up a nice uh, handful of nuts, almonds, walnuts, macadamia nuts, mix them all together, puree them in your mini Cuisinart or other device, and then throw that into the pot. 
Uh, also, you can put a big giant gob of almond butter in there. And so now you're stirring this thing that's becoming uh, a little thick because of the almond butter or peanut butter. Now we have permission to eat peanut butter from the world's leading experts in primal paleo like Rob Wolf and Mark Sisson. Sorry, we were wrong, guys, for 10 years. Remember, we were uh, advising against legumes for a long time due to objections relating to gut health and also to the carb content. And so now I'm hearing from left and right, hey, yeah, peanut butter's okay. It's not gonna, it's not gonna hurt you that bad. And so uh, I'm finding some really well-chosen, freshly ground peanut butters at the food co-op or wherever and throwing those into my game uh, where I've often enjoyed almond butter for years and years. Anyway, so you're mixing up this preparation and it's starting to turn into an oatmeal-like consistency due to the bulk of the nuts and the nut butter. And oh my gosh, good stuff. Enjoy it. And if you have to enjoy it every single day for 24 days so that you drive right past Starbucks instead of get your caramel frap first thing in the morning with 690 calories and 72 grams of carbs, I made both of those up, but these liquid beverages are a real sneaky way to absolutely destroy the momentum of uh, preparing and aligning your meal choices with uh, primal paleo or keto. So get into the groove with Luisa's simple suggestion. And yeah, this guy's super duper hardcore. He's a full on rip city bodybuilder. He's been strict keto for, I believe he said 17 straight years. Uh, and not everybody, uh, you know, embraces this type of uh, adherence and someone who's at that level of functioning and commitment. They want to enjoy their lives. They want to use uh, catch-all phrases like everything in moderation, which is definitely a crutch for failing to commit to um, distinct lifestyle goals and doing fallbacks and rationalizations and excuses. So I really appreciate his take on those matters. And then at the same time, when you understand the big picture and uh, learn more about what he's doing, he also has a nice respect for the big picture and not pushing people too hard and letting them uh, have that individuality approach, the trial and error, experimenting, and uh, being happy with uh, your body composition right now and just trying to dial things in and get a little better rather than this extreme regimented approach, which is a turnoff for so many people. Uh, next question. What about experimenting with resistant starch and what kind of frequency should I aspire to? Well, uh, I've been told, I've read that the introduction of a significant level of resistant starch out of the gate, so if you're going for two tablespoons of raw potato starch into your smoothies because you read a cool article on Mark's Daily Apple or in the Primal Blueprint book about the benefits of resistant starch, especially for ketogenic eaters who might be uh, bypassing some usual forms of resistant starch in the diet. Well, uh, that could be problematic, apparently, because it's just uh, uh, an abrupt transition for your digestive tract to uh, take in large amounts of resistant starch. So you can start with a teaspoon a day, get in the groove, make sure you have no adverse effects. That's the other stuff I read that you might experience um, uh, gas bloating constipation if you overdo it on something like fiber or resistant starch. So uh, ease into it. And now I'm up to the introduction of probably around a tablespoon into my smoothie just to make sure I'm getting that objective I believe uh, experts have said it's 30 to 40 grams a day is a good goal to shoot for in resistant starch. So if I'm getting a tablespoon, which is, oh, sorry, folks, what is it? Is it 15 grams? Is it three teaspoons? 
Oh my gosh, correct me, please. I'm just going to guess. No, you know what? I'm going to Google that sheet right now. Grams in tablespoon. 14.3 grams. Good guess, Brad. You win a free bottle of Primal Kitchen salad dressing. So if I'm doing one scoop and hitting 14 grams, I'm almost halfway there. And then the rest of it's going to come from my diet. Also loving to get the green, green, greenest bananas I can, uh, peel them up at great effort, slicing them lengthwise with a knife and then prying the, uh, the pulp out of the, out of the green peel and then freezing that green banana. So I don't have to choke it down. I just throw it into the smoothie and then I'm getting another great source of resistant starch automatically. Okay. Uh, automatically meaning that it's going in my smoothie every single day. Uh, not every single day, most days, sorry, but go on YouTube, Brad Kern's, uh, super nutrition morning smoothie. And you can see all the stuff I'm putting in there most days. Cause I'm really fond of this uh, new experimental phase of keto where I'm introducing the uh, caloric consumption first thing in the morning or maybe in the late morning, but instead of a strict fast until noon every single day, now I'm doing the smoothie many days and I'll find that I don't eat very much during the course of the day until dinner. Really, for most of us in the keto scene, um, two meals a day is probably plenty, would you say? Um, and whatever those two meals are, I know Brian, who's mastering this recording, uh, oftentimes relates that, am I right, Brian? You do the workout, then you eat a big meal in the late morning or something, and then you're having an early dinner, right? Four or five o'clock, get some continental cuisine in there, some international cuisine, uh, staying away from the heavy-duty carbs uh, in the African cuisine and picking and choosing the best that they have to offer. Uh, and then you're done eating. So if your meals are at uh, nine and four or something like that, what a great pattern. Everything works, whatever works for you. Although we have our commentary from the elevating uh, profile of Dr. Sachin Panda, thanks to Dr. Rhonda Patrick bringing him and his work at UC San Diego into highlight, uh, where he talks about the digestive circadian rhythm. He's become a great expert on this. And identifying that just as we have a, uh, a sleep and awake circadian rhythm, uh, we also have a digestive circadian rhythm where our digestive function and fat metabolism is optimized if we honor um, some genetic prerequisites. One of them being that we limit our caloric consumption or our processing of anything in the digestive system to a 12-hour maximum window. Not just food, but any xenobiotic substance. That term means anything that you have to digest. So a cup of coffee, although it has no calories, is xenobiotic, just like a vitamin supplement or an herbal tea or anything that goes down the pipe besides water. So once you consume anything that kickstarts your digestive system and the clock has started, and Dr. Panda is uh, suggesting, theorizing, that maybe when you do that, uh, as soon as you wake up, it's a way to kind of optimize your energy production, uh, mood, cognition, things like that, because you're telling your body, hey, you've been sleeping for however many hours, wake up, let's get into gear, and uh, part of that is uh, getting the digestive system going. And if you're adhering to fasting, you like that, go ahead and have some coffee or some water, um, but again, you're starting the digestive clock without needing to take in calories, or you're an enthusiast of a high-fat coffee, so you're getting some calories to burn. 
and waiting until later to eat a meal. So it doesn't have to disrupt whatever keto strategy you've been doing now. It's just something to uh, become acquainted with. And then on the flip side, we want to turn that thing, that turn that clock off at maximum 12 hours. So if you're an early riser, which is overblown in terms of how it benefits your health and peak performance, I am so sick of reading about uh, these guys and their mini profiles that you see in the success magazines saying, yep, uh, 5 a.m. is when I wake up every single day and you're a loser if you're, you're not up with me. Uh, I'm, big, I'm a big fan of getting optimal sleep, whatever that takes. And that means going to bed early. If you have to wake up early or you choose that, it's your favorite time of the day, that's fine. But get your sleep, man. And uh, uh, winners sleep plenty. Okay, so thank you for that little aside. Uh, but let's say you get up early, early, and you like to read the paper, have a steaming cup of coffee, and it's uh, 6, 12 a.m. That means ideally you'd be finished consuming any calories or xenobiotic substance by 6, 12 p.m. Oh no, there goes our bedtime herbal tea. Uh, Probably not the biggest disaster if you're uh, extending that window just with uh, minor things like a hot tea before bed, chamomile tea, whatever. But the research that he's done in his laboratory uh, with rats shows an amazing uh, adverse uh, consequence of consuming calories outside of that 12-hour digestive window. Uh, We've known or we've thought for a while that uh, consuming calories in the evening hours uh, leads to uh, fat storage, especially when those calories are coming uh, in conjunction with the introduction of excess artificial light and digital stimulation after dark. We know that that's going to suppress melatonin, spike cortisol, uh, spike the prominent hunger hormone ghrelin, and also dysregulate uh, the signaling of leptin from the digestive tract to the brain that signals satiety and also determines whether we're going to uh, burn fat or store it. So if you stay up late at night and consume calories, uh, they're more likely to be stored at fat and you're more likely to have an increased appetite for those calories. So turning off that digestion and being mindful of that 12-hour window. Uh, When I first watched the incredible YouTube video uh, with Dr. Rhonda and Dr. Panda, and then there's a follow-up. So there's two YouTube videos, uh, a sit-down interview, nothing too exciting. You can listen to them on audio too, uh, but they going for over an hour each time and getting all into this concept of digestive circadian rhythm. Great stuff. And so now I've been way more mindful of that 12-hour maximum because I found that, oh my gosh, I was exceeding that routinely uh, through even if it was uh, tea in the morning at 7 and then uh, a couple squares of dark chocolate at uh, 9.30. So how's that for a very long answer? I can't even remember the question. had probably nothing to do with, uh, oh yeah, it was about resistant starch. Segway! You got me rolling on my Segway. That's uh, Weird Al. White and nerdy. Go look it up. Great song. A fabulous song. I used to know all the lyrics. I'm nerdy to the extreme. I'm whiter than sour cream. I was in the AV club and glee club and even the chess team. Okay, next question. I'm vegan, but I love seeing the benefits of a keto diet. Any way these two diets can be combined in the best way? No. Next question. Just kidding. Uh, Boy, the vegan scene is really becoming popular. Uh, I have a lot of interest and affinity for that. I think these guys are 
committed to their health. They have a high awareness of uh, sustainably grown foods, uh, wanting to stay away from the uh, disastrous uh, feedlot animals and mass-producing animals. Uh, but they also have a tendency to be uh, a little bit militant and possibly closed-minded at times. Some of them, not making a blanket statement, just a three-quarter blanket statement, and the uh, blanket uh, rejection of anything that has hands or feet or toes and ears, eyes and a face. I can't remember their, their guidelines, but the blanket rejection of that um, could be challenged on the basic health level that you're excluding some of the most nutrient-dense foods on the planet. Um, like it or not, liver uh, is identified as possibly the most nutrient-dense agent you can consume. The egg yolk is right up there. Uh, the sushi from the, the sushi bar, all that stuff is something that has nurtured and fostered human evolution for two and a half million years. As Mark Sisson likes to say, there's never been a society in the history of humanity that has uh, survived on a vegan or vegetarian diet. We, we branched out from the gorillas due to our ability to uh, find and process in terms of cooking uh, large quantities or you know, sufficient quantities of the most nutrient-dense foods that fostered advanced brain function, namely the omega-3s and the other uh, positive attributes of fish because our evolution occurred uh, along coastlines and a lot of our ancestors had great access to marine life. And then later, of course, killing the land animals and becoming the hunter and rising to the top of the food chain. Anyway, however you feel about that, uh, and whatever role that animals have in your diet, that's fine. We're all friends. It's cool. We're all interested in health, and we're so far along in, in progress and um, progressive mindset from the people who are consuming uh, the standard American diet, which Dr. Lauren Cordain identifies as 71% of the calories in the standard American diet come from entirely modern foods that did not exist during Paleolithic times. Uh, Dr. Cordain's first book, The Paleo Diet, man, he predated everybody. He'll tell you that he did too. Proud of it. So he's setting the tone and looking at the refined vegetable oils, which Dr. Andrew Weil uh, states that 20% of all calories in the standard American diet come from soybean oil alone. And other stats, I believe Dr. Kate has been uh, touting this disgusting, horrifying stat that 40% of all calories coming from restaurant meals are derived from these uh, inflammatory oxidized vegetable oils. So especially when you're dining out and they're cooking stuff in these big jugs of uh, canola oil that they get, I guess to save money, I don't know why they're not using avocado oil or extra virgin olive oil, uh, but you're getting a massive dose of this nutrient devoid food. And then, of course, we have the sugars and grains on top of that. Of course, we're going to get to 71% when you break down uh, the breakfast cereals and the toast and the, the, the extracted juices and the sandwiches and the pastas and the rice and all that stuff. So, we want to get, uh, we want to be friendly with anyone who's got that consciousness that wants to uh, improve the nutrient quality of their diet. A plant-based diet, I have no argument with that term. I think that's fantastic for all of us to know that we're emphasizing the bulk of emphasis on our plate is plant matter, particularly vegetables and seasonal fruits being fantastic, but easy to overdo when we're talking about 
going to Costco in December and buying the giant grapes and the blueberries from Chile, uh, that can be a little bit too much sugar in the diet when you're slamming fruit year round. Probably not aligned with our genetic expectations and patterns of our ancestry. Uh, but anyway, yeah, so you want to be vegan for uh, whatever justifiable reason, and you want to be keto. Uh, what's going to happen? Well, you need some food. You need some calories to survive. You can survive on uh, significantly fewer calories when you're ketogenic because your appetite hormones are regulated, and you're very, very good at making internal sources of energy, especially the, the free pass that uh, ketones are, right? Your ketones are made from uh, fat metabolism in the liver, so you don't have to consume any food and then convert it into ketones. They're made uh, internally and then uh, burning plenty of stored body fat. Uh, but at a certain point, you're going to have a daily caloric need that you need to satisfy, and the goal is to obtain most of your calories from natural, nutritious fats in order to align with the keto guidelines. Of course, we don't want to go over on the protein, so we're not going to be consuming 12 scoops of protein powder because we're powder because we're vegan keto. So most of your calories by default are going to have to come from fat one way or the other. Even if you're uh, really efficient and only eating 2,000 calories a day or 1,800, I don't know what uh, someone can survive on. A 100-pound female might be different than a uh, 196-pound uh, high-muscled male. So whatever your basic needs are, most of it's going to come from fat. So if you're vegan and a lot of uh, fat sources in the diet are off the list, including high-fat dairy products and all the animal products, it seems like you're going to be consuming a ton of avocados, I guess a ton of nuts, maybe some coconut products can get in there, uh, coconut oil, MCT oil, but we don't want to overdo it with 12, 12 tablespoons of MCT oil per day because we're vegan keto and there's not a lot of food options. Um, that's going to diminish the nutrient quantity of your diet too. And I suppose you could consume mountains of produce and possibly still succeed with your keto goals, uh, but those should be drowned in uh, uh, butter, avocado oil, olive oil, things like that. So I, I'd say my answer is it's going to be a challenge. There's a lot of concerns with nutrient deficiency if you're uh, vegan and keto. So you have to be very mindful about your choices and good luck. And if you can stand uh, four avocados a day and have a lot of coconut butter, coconut oil, coconut flakes thrown into your smoothies, uh, what other ideas do we have? Again, not wanting to overdo those oils because um, they're not going to have as much nutritional value as uh, the real foods. I would love to advocate for throwing down some sardines once in a while, uh, some egg yolks or something that maybe you can convince yourself is aligned with your vegan goals, even if it's morality or things like that. Whew. Okay, I'm out of my league. I'm sorry. Hope I don't offend anybody uh, railing on about vegan vegetarian, uh, but just giving you a take to consider and no harm done. And go ahead, slam me with emails if uh, you have a counter opinion or, or possibly think that I messed up that advice, right? It just seems like you're going to be going uh, a ton into the high-fat plants. Oh, Carrie says... Does an electrolyte imbalance affect sleep? Has anyone found that their sleep is far more broken? I can't figure it out. Yes, I would suspect that an electrolyte imbalance affects your sleep, affects your health, messes you up, bad deal. 
possibly very common in the keto scene. I believe that I suffered from an electrolyte imbalance on my first foray into keto, and that was part of the reason that I bombed out after three weeks. So you have to make a concerted effort to consume more sodium, more potassium, more magnesium when you go keto, because the overall water retention throughout through cells throughout the body is diminished. Glycogen uh, is a little bit depleted probably from your previous state in a high-carb or a medium-carb dietary pattern. So as the cells contain less inflammation and less water, your electrolytes are all going to change, especially if you go keto in an extreme way, which of course we advise against in the keto reset approach. But people are coming to this, they're enthusiastic, they're dropping all the carbs out of their diet and possibly becoming uh, sodium, magnesium, potassium depleted. So the commonly quoted numbers, which we have in the uh, in the uh, appendix, troubleshooting in the book, uh, trying to get five grams of sodium added to the diet, deliberate add back of five grams of sodium. That's from Dr. D'Agostino. Uh, we want the best possible sources like uh, Himalayan pink salt, sea salt, a natural source of salt, which has up to 84 additional vitamins and minerals inside rather than iodized salt, which is the bleached out white stuff. Um, I believe the number for potassium was 1,000 milligrams extra extra effort per day to the tune of 1,000. Avocado, great source of potassium. So if that's going to be one of the centerpieces of keto, which it likely could be, um, that's going to help you out. And then magnesium to the tune of 400 milligrams extra per day, which happens to be a common dose with the magnesium supplements. So getting a high quality magnesium supplement, taking one to two pills and kind of covering your bases, making sure that you get out of that uh, danger zone of electrolyte imbalance. So disrupted sleep, not a good deal, possibly relating to uh, stress hormones, uh, spiking of cortisol, things like that, that we don't want to happen while we're sleeping. Uh, Dr. Phil Maffetone reminded me and his interviews in the Primal Endurance course and some that we put into the Keto Reset course that you shouldn't really wake up at night to have to take a pee. You know, it's not a, a valid excuse or justification for waking up at night. What possibly is happening when you have a sense of urgency uh, in the middle of the night is that your adrenal glands next to your kidneys, right? Adrenal is Latin for next to the prefix AD, like addendum or addition, adrenal next to renal, kidney. So if your adrenals are stimulating at night because you have a high-stress, hectic, go-go-go lifestyle and you have difficulty winding down all the way, uh, you lay down, you collapse, maybe you had some alcohol that put you into uh, an unconscious state or helped get you there, but it wasn't putting you into the efficient cycling through all phases of sleep, and then you wake up and you got to take a leak um, let's look at some ways to reduce the stress in your life and stimulate parasympathetic activity. That's the rest and digest nervous system or the branch of the autonomic nervous system that's devoted to rest and digest as opposed to the sympathetic uh, nervous system stimulation, which is the familiar fight or flight. So when we wind things down at night, when we minimize artificial light and digital stimulation after dark, when we do a nice little foam rolling ritual, as Ben Greenfield reminded me, that even if you roll right onto your abdomen and get a good rolling session in, this is known to stimulate parasympathetic activity. It's a great way to wind down, foam rolling, getting a massage, even a minor short one from an amateur for 15 minutes, uh, that can also stimulate parasympathetic activity. 
anyone knows who's received a proper full-length massage. I like to go 90 minutes, even two hours sometimes with Beth- Bethany in San Antonio, Texas, possibly the best metho- massage therapist on the planet. Thank you, Bethany Fellows. If you're in San Antonio, look this girl up. She's unbelievable. I had her travel to Austin, Texas to Paleo FX. I met her in San Antonio, uh, was there on, at a conference, had back-to-back massages, She cured my year-long injury with glute, hamstring, and sciatic tightness, uh, aggravating every time I sprinted for a year. I couldn't even high jump for a year. Oh, so sad, Brad. Uh, She cured it in two massage sessions. I think they were both two hours. Beat the heck out of me, but did the proper work to unwind me. And then she drove up to Paleo FX, and I believe she booked seven appointments with Primal Health Coach and Primal Kitchen folks, and uh, two for me. That counts toward the seven, right? (laughs) <laughs> a little plug for Bethany Fellows, anonymous listener out there in, in uh, San Antonio doing her thing. Uh, but anyway, massage right before bed, stimulating parasympathetic activity, wonderful. We do not want you waking up in the middle of the night, get your electrolytes handled, get your stress handled, and get the question up from Justin. You've been waiting on the line so long. Thank gosh this isn't a live call-in show, huh? These people would be hanging up. Anyway, so Justin's six one. he's 35, he's been keto for one year, and he's lost 100 pounds in one year. Whew! 295 to 187. Justin, will you send a picture in, man? That's pretty incredible. Imagine dropping 100 pounds. I have a 25-pound weight vest that I work out in sometimes, but not very often because it's so burdensome and it feels so different to jog down the street with a 25-pound weight vest. Imagine four of those, <laughs> like strapping up each leg, each arm, uh, maybe two on your uh, chest, one on the front, one on the back. Congratulations, man. Here's his typical day. I'm sure all of us are interested. Grass-fed butter, MCT oil, coffee in the morning, either or. Uh, Some more black coffee throughout the day. Oops, alert, alert. And uh, skipping lunch, doing a workout in the afternoon, uh, 30-minute kettlebells, followed by intervals on an elliptical or a long run, uh, or just kettlebells, depends on the day, but 30 minutes of kettlebells and then going into the other stuff. Have some protein with some fat-cooked veggies and an avocado. If I have dessert, it's like hemp hearts with stevia and cinnamon added to unsweetened coconut milk. What a hardcore, highly aligned person. That's how you dump 100 pounds in one year. His little creation that he just mentioned, hemp hearts, stevia, cinnamon, and unsweetened coconut milk. He calls it the keto horchata cereal. Oh my gosh, I got to try that, man. Horchata is my favorite drink uh, when I'm going to the, uh, the, the Mexican joints, the taqueria, and want to splurge a little bit. Very rare, but love that stuff, man. One sip is enough for me. Fantastic. Anyway, he gets plenty of healthy fat, not too much protein, and and my carbs are almost all vegetables. Uh, my test levels for testosterone came in the low 200. So that is going to be his serum testosterone reading, and that's a little bit on the low side. Uh, the general range for males, uh, especially in the younger ages, and going up to, uh, you know, let's say ages 20 to 50, the healthy range is somewhere between 200 and 1,000. So the low 200s is the very bottom of the healthy level, and this guy at 35 should ideally be, let's say, at least in the 500s. One caveat to mention is that this number is referring to 
the serum testosterone, the total, but we also want to measure, more importantly, the free testosterone, the amount circulating in the bloodstream and working its magic on target organs. So your free testosterone could be low when you have healthy levels of serum testosterone. Now, if your serum is low, then you know you have a problem with your free, but it's nice to remember that that's the most important test for those listening and for Justin. So he got that blood test level in the low 200s, and the doctor immediately started him on uh, replacement therapy. I've had two injections already. Do you think I just need more calories, some slow carbs at night, or should I just eat more throughout the day? Uh, So he's asking me for an answer. My first answer is maybe find another doctor. Uh, Sticking, injecting a 35-year-old male who's lost 100 pounds in a year I'm not sure that sounds too fun or too sensible to me. There's probably a lot of other things to investigate, one of them being that he's been under extreme stress for a year, right, listeners? I mean, dropping 100 pounds is no funny business. So this could be a time to uh, take a breather, regulate a little bit, possibly tone down that exercise regimen, because that sounds really tough when you mention that um, you're going... 30 minutes of kettlebells, followed by intervals or a long run, or just kettlebells on certain days. 30 minutes of kettlebells. That's longer than I've ever swung a kettlebell in my life. I probably swing the kettlebell for five minutes, and as I've told you before, most of my high-intensity strength training sessions, the hard work is really only adding up to be um, 10, 15, 20 minutes. And that includes uh, rest periods and everything. It's just do the hard work and then get out of there before you uh, overstimulate the fight-or-flight response and have these stress hormones circulating in your bloodstream for too long of a time. This leads to uh, depletion, fatigue, uh, you know, overstimulation of the stress response causing uh, disturbed immune function, especially if it's a day-after-day pattern. We call this chronic exercise. Extremely unhealthy when you overdo it. So I would advocate to tone down those workouts. Okay, maybe keep your very best workout of the week where you're doing 30-minute kettlebell and then you're going doing intervals on the elliptical, that's great. Do that on Tuesday night. Uh, then the next day, you know, take a day off, man. You didn't mention, so maybe you are doing it, but um, tone down your baseline workout so that you have higher highs and lower lows, making sure that you get plenty of rest, especially because you've made so much progress in one year. I wouldn't even worry about your testosterone levels. I would just optimize your exercise program answering the question, should I eat more food or eat slow carbs at night? I don't know. If you're hungry, sure, go ahead and eat, man. You just lost 100 pounds. If 187 is not your goal weight, I'm very confident that you can get down to 177 or 167. I can't imagine that you want to lose too much more weight at six foot one and 35 years old. So let's just worry about the testosterone later and report that you're feeling great and not overdoing it at the exercise. Is that enough answer there? Yeah. Uh, I think, what else can you say? I mean, um, follow your appetite. Certainly you deserve some, some nutritious carbs at night after putting in that type of work effort and also doing that hard work for so long. Uh, my other uh, objection or my red flag, as I mentioned, was that coffee in the morning, coffee throughout the day kind of thing. So it's possible that you are, uh, that's contributing to an overstimulation of cortisol, stress response, living on caffeine and breathing on those fumes rather than uh, kind of 
striving to balance the uh, the the hot wired type A energy with uh, downtime, frequent breaks from intense cognitive focus for a walk around the office courtyard, uh, rejuvenating energy naturally rather than that cup of coffee. Again, without the specifics, it seems like you're in this pattern of possible um, excess fight or flight stimulation, uh, excess cortisol levels, which we know is an antagonist to testosterone. So you might feel good uh, in that high stress kind of uh, metabolic state, that chemical state where you're bathed in stress hormones. It gets you through the busy day, gets you through the workout, but we're heading for a crash somewhere down the road that's going to be possibly pretty ugly, or you're just going to have weight loss stalls and other complaints like low testosterone. Okay. Also, is a good quality beer considered a slow carb? I don't want to go back to carbs, but a Sapporo with steak and vegetables wouldn't be the worst thing. That's right, man. Wouldn't be the worst thing. Go ahead and enjoy yourself. Um, is a beer a source of nutritious carbs? Uh, that's not on the list as far as, I, as far as I know. We have the list of sweet potatoes, wild rice, quinoa, incidental carbs from nuts, seeds, and their derivative butters, uh, fruit, of course, and all the vegetable family. Um, but not sure beer is going to rank up there with the ones I just mentioned. But again, uh, enjoying your life is a very important priority, so go for it. Okay. Dude Spellings, we're going to end with a success story. You hear me talk about him a lot because this guy is, whew, he's doing all kinds of great stuff in the speed golf world, the keto world, the cold therapy world. And here's his uh, little report. My experience doing keto for seven months uh, was similar to yours. Between March and September 16, uh, exactly as you say, I found that being very strict keto for a prolonged period definitely reset my metabolism and restored a lot of my fat burning and endurance ability. Also, I found that I could occasionally indulge in dessert or popcorn at the movies and not suffer any adverse consequences and be completely fat burning on my run or during a fasting period the following day so he could reset and recalibrate from occasional carb binge. Also like you, I found that daily intermittent fasting or restricted eating has helped tremendously. I quit the butter coffee, and I usually have my first meal around noon. Sometimes I switch it up and skip dinner, so I enjoy a big, heavy breakfast of eggs and bacon because I really like that meal. Also, the breakfast tacos, which dude treated Dr. Lindsay and I to upon our visit to Austin. Oh my gosh, that was great. We got there right when the place opened and then stormed this incredible uh, outpost that had an assortment of breakfast tacos, which of course you could get in a bowl. And um, I think I had four of them, huh, dude? Yeah, good stuff. I forget the name. I'd give it a plug if I knew it. I also started doing this precisely because of the podcast with Dr. Sachin Panda and Rhonda Patrick, which I mentioned previously. So he's going for that digestive circadian rhythm initiation effect in the morning uh, in balance to uh, the fasting practice. So something to think about and try. Again, variation is fine. So some days fasting, some days kickstarting with a big breakfast because you love it. All good. Thank you for sharing Dude Spellings in Austin, Texas. Thank you, listeners. For listening to the Keto Podcast, please send your feedback to info at ketoreset.com and check out the Keto Reset Mastery Course. Oh my gosh, we're getting great feedback. So much appreciate people writing in and talking about the particulars of their experience, asking questions. We've made some tweaks and adjustments due to the feedback, but it's really everything you need to succeed uh, with transitioning to keto in a safe, healthy way so that you actually enjoy it 
you don't fall apart, you don't struggle, you don't suffer, but the videos are helpful covering every single aspect of it, including things like sleep and exercise ideas and uh, healthy exercise patterns, you know, the background, the uh, supportive stuff that's not just about the macros and the uh, recipes and things like that, although we have all of that on there too. We're throwing it at you. It's a comprehensive learning experience. You can enjoy it with the series of videos. You can pick and choose what you want. You can search through the experts that we interviewed to add to the value of just me blabbing on about every single thing in the book. And oh gosh, it's it's great. It'll get you everything you need. So check it out at ketoreset.com. I believe there's a, a promo video that I recorded that you can access from the homepage That'll give you an overview of what I talked about. And then on YouTube, there's a more detailed description of everything that's in the course if you want to navigate to that by clicking on the uh, Primal Blueprint YouTube channel. And then there's a sub-page about our digital courses where you're getting all kinds of good excerpts and material. So thanks for listening. Have a great day. So Chris Kelly, Nourish, Balance, Thrive, we're, we're talking about health and you're telling me a funny story about your picky four-year-old daughter that won't eat unless there's Primal Kitchen uh, condiments on the table. It's true. My daughter will not eat unless there's f***ing the Primal Kitchen Wilder. <laughs> it's, it's this cute thing, actually, she does. We have a local state park called Wilder Ranch. Oh, yeah. And uh, she calls the ranch dressing Wilder Ranch dressing. Which <laughs> we, 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 there's no way we're going to correct her on that. It's just too It's so, so endearing. Uh, how old um, is she? She's four. Oh my gosh. So she likes like the mayo on a Oh yeah, she, so, she loves those. So we love them as well. We have, uh, we, we eat them all the time. We eat the mayo, we eat the balsamic, we eat the, the ranch, um, the avocado oil we use all the time. And, and so, you know, that's completely genuine. And I don't mind talking about that because you took the pain in the ass out of condiments. I really appreciate that. What an authentic spot from Chris Kelly at Nourish Balance Thrive. And yes, Primal Kitchen, you can call it Wilder Ranch Dressing if you want. And uh, we'll send five cents of the proceeds over to that beautiful state park because they're they're trying to make ends meet in Santa Cruz Mountains. Thank you very much, Chris. (laughs) It's my pleasure.